Today we begin the period of time in the life of the church called Holy Week. It begins today with Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday, which is the day that Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem and began the last week of his physical life on earth. He would continue to preach, to teach in parables, and to encourage his followers as he prepared them for life without his physical presence. As one writer states, this day marks the clearest announcement of a new leader, different from any the world has ever seen. His leadership stands in stark contrast to the religious and secular culture of the day, and ours as well. The following Thursday, Jesus would join his disciples for his last Passover supper with them. He instituted the Lord's Supper that night and afterward would wash their grimy and stinky, dirty feet. Later that same evening, one of his own would betray him into the hands of his captors. On Friday, he would take his final breath as he would die a criminal, criminal's death on a cross to purchase the forgiveness and eternity for all humanity. But it did not stop there, because on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. Thus, Holy Week will culminate in the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. But we must not jump from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday without going through the Holy Week. So today, we join Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. He came to the Mount of Olives, which is just a couple of miles east of Jerusalem, which rises above the city's hills. I can only imagine what must have been going through his mind as he looked out at the city of Jerusalem, knowing the injustices and the hurts and the abuses of the oppressed that had been going on. After today's account in Scripture, if you continue reading in Luke's Gospel, you know that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. And I imagine it would be much like if today he were to look over any of the cities in the Ukraine that have been so brutally attacked by the Russians. And I would say Putin in particular. This is the kind of experience of emotion and grief and lament that Jesus had as he was journeying to the cross. So let's take our scriptures and read the account of Luke, the historian of Jesus' entry into the city. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, 
threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks in the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, these stones will cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Palm Sunday reveals the ambiguity that confronts Jesus as his life and ministry unfold before the world. In Jesus, we see a leader who is humble and selfless, unbelievably courageous, yet gentle, incredibly truthful, and amazingly loving. We see a completely fearless leader who faces the consequences of being a different kind of leader. This ambiguity is no more clear than on the day Jesus received shouts of acclamation, which would soon later in the week turn to crucify, crucify. We remember that the disciples who praised him as he rode in were not the ones who turned later in the week crucify. These were devoted followers who recognized him for who he was, the new king of peace, a king not of war but of peace, a a king who rode in humbly to bring peace to all people, not a military victory as many later would have expected. Jesus' physical journey to Jerusalem began, if you think about it, by going up toward the city from Jericho, then down to the villages of Bethany and Bethsaida, then up on a donkey, then up the Mount of Olives, then down the Mount of Olives, then up to Jerusalem, which means, by the way, foundation of peace. Regardless of the origin of the trip, Jerusalem was always up. This symbolized the holiness of the city. So we can look at Jesus' journey, his riding into the city of Jerusalem as an up and down experience, just as you and I have up and down experiences in our lives today. When Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem, his experience, what he endured, fortifies us as we follow in his steps as Christians today. So we can draw several things. One is that the Christian life is indeed filled with ups and downs. That's the the first point I'd like to make is often we think the Christian life is is, um, free from struggles, free from discouragement, free from bad things that happen to us. And the Christian life is not that. Most of you, in fact, I imagine all of you sitting in this room know that the Christian life is filled with its struggles, right? 
There are mountains and valleys, seemingly unyielding impasses and stubborn dead ends. Sometimes we just don't know what to do. But the good news is that the Christian life gives us the guidance and the help and the hope to make the best choices, to follow the will of God even when struggles occur in our lives, even when we face obstacles that are seemingly insurmountable. Sometimes our ups and our downs are driven by successes and failures. Other challenges are from people we might even know that could be part of our own family. Still other obstacles and challenges are from things that are beyond our control. But Jesus' journey reminds us that there are ups and downs in this life. Yet he is with us. And that's the good news that I want us to remember is, second, even though that the Christian life is filled with ups and downs, nothing can silence the voice of hope. Nothing can take that from us. The Pharisees, as you see in the scriptures, tried to silence Jesus' followers, tried to put them in their place. And they did that by ordering Jesus to tell them to stop singing. They were doing everything they could to thwart the will of God, the Pharisees were. But instead of cowering to them, Jesus told the disciples to sing louder. Jesus responded and said, If they keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. Nothing is going to be able to stop God's will from happening. Nothing can dash their hopes. In other words, as pastor and and writer Fred Craddock, who is now with the Lord, says, something simply must be said. The disciples are expressing what is ultimately and finally true, that God will provide a witness so every mouth might be stopped. Opposition to the Christian witness cannot succeed, and the truth will come out at not long can be silenced. Jesus said, if they are silenced, these stones will cry out, implying that even the creation will participate in singing praise and glory to God. Certainly it is a figure of speech. But if you think about it, it does remind us that in biblical understanding, the creation is involved in events that we think are human alone. Genesis reminds us that the sin of our first family, Adam and Eve, caused the earth to produce thorns and thistles. Isaiah sings a reign of peace when cows and bears will graze together and the lion and the lamb will lie down side by side. Matthew says that a special star appeared to announce Jesus' birth and that the earth shuddered, cracking rocks when Jesus died. Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels report that when Jesus was put on the cross for three hours, there was an eclipse of the sun. All of this reminds us that all of life is from God. The whole universe shares together despair and blessing, life and death. And as Paul reminds us in Romans 8.21, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
Jesus says, if these are silent, even the stones will cry out. Nothing can silence the voice of our hope this morning. Even if there are more downs than ups in our lives. Another way that we are fortified or strengthened through this journey of Jesus is to know that God desires our praise and glory. He just does. God desires that we worship and praise and give him the glory. And if we go back to verses 37 and 38, the reason why the disciples were joyfully praising God is because of all of the miracles that they had seen. They were giving God the glory. And I believe that's one of the things that is important for church to remember is to sing God's praises and give God the glory for the great things that God has done over the life of our church. When you think about Huguenot Road Baptist Church starting as a, a small group who met in a home in 1964 and to see how God has worked among in, among, and through us today to see the wonderful church family that God has brought here it reminds us that we must praise and sing glory to God for the great things he has done. The Messiah, their Messiah, their hope was coming into the city to deliver them. Their praises were reminiscent of the heavenly host and the angel who appeared to the shepherd at Jesus' birth, singing glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. As Jesus rode in, they remember that miracle. I imagine it could have been something like this. If you were there in the crowd, you remember that time at the wedding when the wine ran out and how, how embarrassing that would have ended up? And yet his mother talked to him and, and then Jesus miraculously turned the water into wine to save the day? Or what about the time that Peter's mother-in-law was severely ill and Jesus healed her? Do you remember that time Jesus was walking in a large crowd of people and a woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years, nobody could help her, and she went up and touched the hem of his garment and she was healed? Power came out of him, and he stopped and acknowledged. Do you remember that story and how she went and told others? Or what about Legion, who was demon-possessed? For so many years, he struggled, and then Jesus cast out those demons, and the demons took up in a whole herd of pigs, and they ran into the water and drowned. Gone were those demons. Or what about the miraculous catch of fish that day of the disciples? Or the night that they were in the boat with him and he spoke and the storm just stopped at once. Or when he was preaching and teaching and thousands of people were gathered around him and it got late in the day and the disciples didn't know how they were going to eat and Jesus took the food from a child and prayed over it and blessed it and fed thousands of people with just a simple meal of a child. Or how he walked on water. Do you remember hearing about that? 
or when Bartimaeus, who was blind, was healed, or Lazarus, who had died, and it was the fourth day, and there was no hope, and Jesus came and commanded him to come out of the tomb, and he did, and he took off his grave clothes, and he lived to tell the story. We could go on and on, but the crowd there who was singing glory to God was praising Jesus because of the miracles they had either seen or heard of. And I pray that you and I will never forget that he's still a God of miracles. Sometimes the things that we experience are so difficult that we can become numb. But let us return to the Gospels and read them as if it were the very first time and be encouraged to receive hope from God. One more way we are, I believe, strengthened, but also challenged in Jesus' journey is that these disciples recognized God's visitation. They knew that this was the Son of God. They knew that this was the Messiah. They believed in what he had said. The early crowd, the disciples who sang glory and praise to God for him, recognized God's visitation. Even if it was just for a little while, they had peace. The peace that Paul says passes understanding. They recognized the presence of the king of peace, and they were doing things that would make for peace. We will have peace too, I believe, with all my heart, if we recognize the God who has come near to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles, but I have come that you might have peace. Shalom. And those who trust in him will have everlasting peace, eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So some questions. When Jesus rides into our lives, how will we respond? When Jesus rides in, will we recognize him? Are we looking for him? If we are looking for him, will we recognize him? And if we recognize him, will we welcome him into our hearts? If we welcome him, will we accept him? If we accept him, will we follow him? Because the path of discipleship is not easy at all. It's the best way, but it is not an easy way. If we accept him, will we follow him? If we follow him, will we tell others about him? Or will we just keep it to ourselves or hope somebody else or maybe the pastor will do it? I pray that we will recognize him and that we will welcome him and that we will accept him as Lord of our lives and that we will not only accept him but that we will follow him and that we will make the sacrifices that he asks and that we will tell others about him, that we will tell others the good news of Jesus and what Jesus has done in our lives. Or we can let him ride on by.
what will it be for you and me? Will we recognize it and tell others the letting light on? I pray the former, not the latter. What will we do with Jesus this Holy Week and Easter? Let us pray.